You choose Columbus Business First every week to give you the inside industry intelligence for nearly every business sector in central Ohio. And Columbus Business First chose Crate Media as its official podcast partner for its unique show, Women of Influence, now 70 episodes strong. With 4 million shows, hundreds of millions of listeners, and industry advertising revenues approaching $4 billion, podcasting is the fastest growing audio medium in the U.S. From law to medical, construction to automotive, retail to real estate, every brand has a story. Let Crate Media help tell yours. Visit crate.media slash CBF to learn more about how we can help while receiving a free one-hour casting session with our expert producers, which will help to uncover and shape your company's branded podcast. To learn more about sponsoring Columbus Business First Women of Influence podcast, please email Advertising Director Steve Hewitt at shewitt at bizjournals.com to get started. That's S-H-E-W-I-T-T at bizjournals.com. Howdy, y'all. This is Eleanor Kennedy, Assistant Managing Editor of Columbus Business First and the host of this podcast, Women of Influence. This podcast features conversations with Columbus's leading women in business, in which they talk about how they gained power, how they keep it, and how other women can follow in their footsteps. Today we're chatting with Lauren Parker, CEO of Fraser Hybee. Thank you for joining us, Lauren. Thanks for having me. So Lauren, you are one of a few guests that I've talked to this year who are tackling uh, the pandemic in a relatively new job um, at the same time. So can you tell us a little bit about when you became CEO of the firm and sort of what that transition looked like? Yeah, absolutely. So I became CEO on January 1st of this year. So I stepped into the role with really grand plans of how I wanted to, you know, come out the gate and not uh, not three years into my my new role, we were really thrown the curveball of a lifetime when COVID hit and we had to virtually pivot our entire team and make sure that we were continuing to be able to serve our clients effectively. So I, I joined Fraser Hybee two years ago um, as part of our succession plan. So I got to know my now predecessor, Brian Haviland, and he was trying to figure out, you know, what was his exit strategy and how was he going to make sure that he was leaving the firm in good hands. And when he met me and introduced me to my now business partners, Ann Mulvaney and Whitney Somerville, who are already on staff at Fraser Hybee, we were able to put together this transition plan that really was a win-win-win for all parties involved. So I, I came on board and had had one year with Brian at the helm uh, before I stepped into the role. So mm -hmm. it's been a whirlwind, to say the least. <laughs> and am I right? I saw in your bio, you had been in New York prior to coming to the firm? Yep, absolutely. So uh, I moved to New York the day after I graduated college. I didn't have an apartment or a job. I just knew that I wanted to be in, in the Big Apple. So I showed up in, this, in the big city um, and, you know, found my footing pretty quickly and spent the first 10 years of my career uh, at, at agencies in New York. And, and I've always been on the consulting side. I, I really love this, this line mm -hmm. of work and 
when I, my husband and I found out we were expecting twins uh, about five years ago. And that, that was our cue to leave Manhattan and return to Ohio, which is where uh, my husband and I are both from. So, Got it. so you were coming yeah. home to Ohio, to Columbus specifically, or where did you grow up? We both are from Dayton. Um, okay. So we have, our parents are still there. We want to be closer to grandparents. Um, mm -hmm. I knew at that time that my job was going to be portable. So it was my husband's job. He's an attorney and he was able to get a really great position with uh, a law firm here in Columbus. So we moved here. We didn't know anybody. We didn't really know much about Columbus, but now having been here for five years, it's, it's home and we absolutely love it. So going back to taking on this role, what did the pandemic change about what you had hoped to achieve in your first year? <laughs> um, and, and I think, you know, I've asked a lot of people sort of like, and how did you manage it? But I think we're now getting into kind of a different phase where we're starting to think, start to think about what it looks like as we come out of this. So if you could kind of also talk about how you're going to start to maybe try and accomplish some of those things going forward. Yeah, absolutely. So my, my business partners and I, we have a, a five-year strategic growth plan that we kicked off at the beginning of this year and, you know, had really high expectations for leveling up our staff, making a lot of investments back in the business. Again, I think the fact that um, we are three women in our early to mid thirties with a really long you know, runway ahead of us in terms of our career, the way that we wanted to run the business, I think is really different from say, you know, an older person that's, you know, eyeing retirement. So, you know, we, we had really grand plans about, um, again, making some strategic hires, um, bringing on some new tools and technologies to again, further help us uh, service our clients. So when COVID hit, we really had to just put a pause on all of that sort of outward facing consideration and really figure out how do we make sure that we are keeping our team safe and making sure that we can still service our clients. I, I can tell you that I definitely uh, was curled up in the fetal position at some point in March, just uh, uh, with the assumption that, you know, the phone's going to start ringing off the hook with clients pulling the plug. And mm -hmm. I'm really proud to say that that never happened. The phone did start ringing, but it was actually our clients asking for us to really help them navigate how COVID is impacting their business and how can they better communicate to their employees about changing policies and procedures, how they can better communicate to their external constituents. So what we actually found was that what we do best, which is strategic communications and marketing, there was still a real need for that type of work. And we were able to maintain every single client in our portfolio and actually picked up a couple extra we were able to hire we were able to make some of those strategic hires um, in the in the coming months which was really exciting and so then it, it really just came back to you know we need to be in hold steady mode for the first i would say six months or so and again once we felt like we had settled into this new reality this new way of working virtual and still supporting our clients um, we've been able to, you know, catch our breath and, and revisit some of those, those plans that, you know, we had, we'd wanted to tackle this year. So mm -hmm. it's, uh, again, it, it was, um, it was a challenging year where we, we were holding our breath for a long time. And now I think we're, you know, I, I know that we're more fortunate than, un you know, unfortunately some other companies that have just had a really rough go of it. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's, it's a huge testament to my team. That's really just buckled down and, and delivered great work for our clients. Well, that's great. Uh, are you all still working from home? Is everybody virtual or did you go back in at any point? 
We are. So we're all remote for the most part. One really cool thing when we all went virtual and we may, had to make some strategic hires, we actually really thought about how we hire in new and different ways. So we now actually have two employees that are in New York City. Um, so we, from a talent standpoint, are looking, you know, even outside of the central Ohio market. But we are, we are all virtual. We do allow our um, staff to go back to the office. We'll, we've said that we'll have, you know, up to, up to three folks can be in the office and socially distance and, and wear masks and do everything that they can to, to stay safe. But honestly, <laughs> the majority of our staff has really found their groove, I think, working from home. And mm. it, it's causing us to actually rethink how we want to use our physical office space, mm -hmm. even when the world opens back up at some point, hopefully sooner than later. <laughs> yeah, I think that's something that, I don't know, maybe uh, some people either aren't thinking about or would rather not think about, but <laughs> both from mm -hmm. a talent perspective, that seems like a great opportunity. You know, I have a friend who lives in Austin and just got a job in Denver, you know, mm. but like, they're like, well, you can be remote forever if you want to, yeah. we know that we can do it. And then the, the office space question too, sort of how that changes, I think. We'll, we'll see a lot of different stuff coming in the next I think episode. so too. Mm -hmm. Well, you mentioned that you're in your 30s. And so I guess not to ask this like indelicately, you feel a little bit young to be the CEO of a <laughs> firm. And so have do you feel that way? Did you feel any sort of imposter syndrome or anything like that taking over? And sort of how did you combat that? Or how do you combat that if in your life? Of course. <laughs> of course. I, I have to look in the mirror every day and say, do I, am I old enough to do this? Do I have the experience to really do this? Truly, I, you know, I, I think a big reason why I feel I can do this is because I'm not alone. Anne and Whitney, my business partners, we have a really interesting leadership structure where we are really operating as this sort of triad at the, at the top of, um, of the company where all three of us have very substantial areas or aspects of the business that we're responsible for. And the three of us have a really nice complementary level of skill set and perspective. So I, I don't necessarily feel like it's just me at the top and I have all the weight on my shoulders. I think that it's a really unique model and one that probably only three women <laughs> would be bold enough to, uh, to tackle. Um, we, we don't have a lot of ego involved. Yeah, I, I think that there, anybody, I, I feel like I had, um, I had imposter syndrome when I was a junior account executive and thinking, you know, how can I do this? Am I prepared to do this? I'm, I'm being asked to do things that I've never done before. And I actually think that that's a really exciting way to operate where every day you're going into work and doing something for the very first time. And that's how I'm trying to approach it. I, again, I, I worked, you know, I, for 10 plus years at large agencies where I was consulting on national and international brands. I mean, looking back, I think that there, there is a lot of really great experience and skills that I have been able to develop. And I think the fact that I am sort of midstream in terms of my career and that I can take some risks and do some testing and learning and not get my get hung up if I do make a mistake, you know, gives me some freedom and flexibility to feel like I'm just going to, I'm just going to go for it. Mm -hmm. um, and that's part of the culture that I, I tell my team. I mean, my whole team recognizes that I'm not 
a 65 year old white man. <laughs> so, um, you know, we, we try to talk about it openly and, and just say, you know, guys, this is the very first time that I've, I've run a business. The thing is, I'm, I'm humble enough to know what I don't know. And I'm surrounding myself with people that, you know, round out the gaps in my skill set and, and, and areas of expertise. And so far it's, you know, it's, it's proved us really, really well. Mm -hmm. Well, we just kind of talked about how your, some of the geographic stuff is maybe becoming less relevant, but I'm curious about cultural differences that you felt coming from these, you know, New York kind of uh, mm -hmm. intense, uh, not that it's not intense here, but, but kind of <laughs> the center of the communications industry to Columbus, Ohio. So can you talk yeah. a little bit about that sort of, um, either things that you wanted to bring from that world or things that you wanted to embrace about, you know, being in Ohio and not in New York City. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, there are a lot of the stereotypes about New York being, you know, high, fast paced, highly competitive. A lot of that is true. And, you know, you do get a lot of really great talent. You get high caliber clients that feel like they have to go to a coastal, you know, to a New York or an LA or a Chicago to find an agency partner that's going to be, you know, the top echelon. Um, I really believe that there is really great, great work that can be done right here in the Midwest. And I, especially because of the pandemic, I don't think businesses are really making um, the same determination around which part partners they're bringing on to support their business based on geography. Rather, they want to just work with uh, an agency partner that's the right fit for their business, that brings the right skill set. So when I came on board, you know, we the bulk of our client portfolio is here in Central Ohio. We now have clients in, uh, in six states. So, you know, we've been intentional, even from a business development standpoint and sort of expanding the way that we are prospecting and, and building our business. Again, looking for businesses that we feel like are really aligned with us culturally and that have needs that really hit within our sweet spot. I think culturally too, you know, Anne and Whitney and I decided when we decided to take on this big adventure, we said, we're not going to do it unless we're actually building the culture and employee experience that we would want if we were an employee. I mean, we, this is our experience day to day. And so we've been able to be really intentional about, you know, to your point about what, what did I have in New York and what did I carry over? You know, I've, I have carried over the incredibly high standards as it relates to work product and mm -hmm. wanting to make sure that we feel proud about every single thing and that we've really done our very best job with whatever we're putting in front of a client but not, not at the expense of working our people 18 hours a day and, you know, just absolutely killing ourselves and not having any work-life balance. I, you know, I'm a mother of three young kids and, you know, I don't want to have to have my computer out, you know, of all, out at all hours while they're, you know, watching TV. I want to be able to be present for them. And so we've tried to be very intentional again about, making sure that we are delivering the same caliber work as an agency that might be in Chicago or New York, but we're still really embracing that Midwestern lifestyle that's much more inclusive and, um, you know, balanced. 
Well, how many hours a week are you typically working? What what is your what is your target and what is your reality? Maybe. Yeah, it's it's a good question and it, it ebbs and flows. I I would say that you know I I do work after hours sometimes after I put the kids down. I'll I'll pull my my laptop out and I'll still work. But I, if I am working after hours, I'm usually working on something that I'm really passionate about. It's something that it really excites me because I have skin in the game. You know, I, this is, this is my baby now as a, as a small business owner and I want it to be great. So of course I'm, you know, I am probably hitting more between the, you know, the 50, 50 to 60 hour mark. Um, but we're very clear with our team that that is not the expectation for everybody. We try to make sure that if, you know, if we see somebody live on Slack late at night that we're, you know, just checking in and making sure that, you know, they don't have to be putting in that, those extra hours. We, we try to set those expectations, you know, as part of our, our onboarding and orientation, we try to live that out. But we, at the same time, we try to let people know, you know, work whenever and, and wherever you're going to be most productive. And if, if you're a night owl like me and you want to work late, that's awesome. If, if you're an early bird and you want to sign on at, you know, 6 a.m., that's great. But just make sure that at 3, you know, you're, you're ducking out. Mm-hmm. Um, so, it, again, we, we try to give everybody on our staff a lot of autonomy around managing their own, their own schedule so that it works best for them. And how big is your team at the firm right now? How many people do you have? We have 15 full-time employees, which we've, we've added four folks to our team since March. And then we have a couple really, really great contract employees that we, we tap for some specialty needs. So um, yeah, we're, we're a growing team. Got it. Well, and unlike a lot, again, a lot of people that I've talked to on this podcast, uh, I feel like communications is an industry where there's actually more women. Um, so what is, what does gender parity look like? Um, yeah, it, we're about 50, 50 split, which you're right. I think, especially, you know, looking at some other agencies in town, you know, that do skew more female. Yeah. We, we have, we have a good gender balance for sure. Um, and, you know, diversity is equity and inclusion is really important to us. That's been one of the mandates that Ann and Whitney and I have put on ourselves to make sure that we are uh, more diverse in terms of gender, race, background. Um, it's, it's something that's really important to us, not just from a cult- cultural standpoint, but I think ultimately helps us better serve our clients. We're not as diverse as I would love for us to be, but we are being very intentional about reflecting on our business and how are we, how are we creating an, uh, a, an environment where we're sourcing more diverse talent and where this is a place that people want to work. Getting back to the pandemic a little bit. So you mentioned you've got your three kids. Have they been, are they old enough to be virtual schooling or how has that experience been for you as a parent? <laughs> so I have five-year-old twins, mm-hmm. uh, boy and a girl and a three-year-old son. So when everything was shut down earlier in the spring, um, they were home with us. And I mentioned my husband's an attorney, so he's he was working from home too. For about four months, they were home with us every day. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I have blocked those months from my brain because it was, it was a madhouse. I mean, mm-hmm. um, we were just trying to survive. And the amount of responsibility that I have on my shoulders as both a mother, a wife, 
an employer, <laughs> you know, it, it was, it was a really intense period where I just, I, I didn't feel like I was doing anything at the highest level. And, you know, I, I put a lot of pressure on myself. So that was an incredibly hard time just to, just to manage it all. So, and then when, when the daycares opened up, um, I think that was in mid June, you know, my husband and I had to have a conversation where we had to say, you know, we have to weigh how stressful and painful it has been to have them home versus do we send them to a congregate environment where they have the potential to have that exposure. And, you know, ultimately we, we had a long conversation with um, our daycare. We felt like they were going above and beyond, you know, with protocol to keep everybody safe. And so ultimately we just, we did decide to send them back. You know, since then we had one COVID exposure. So they, we did have to come back and they had, we all had to quarantine. Fortunately, we've all been, been safe and, and healthy, but it's, it's stressful. It's really hard. And, and I'm, I know I'm not alone with a lot of the working parents out there that are trying to, trying to juggle it all. Or, you know, if, if you do have kids that are school age and you're trying to, trying to get your own work done, make sure that your kids are set up for success with their, their schooling. It's, it's really tough. So. Yeah. Well, and there's been so many, especially women who have left the workforce in the fall. So yeah, it's just been a very challenging time for a lot of people. So again, hopefully the light is slowly coming. I know. I know. <laughs> We're all counting down. Yes. <laughs> well, let's see. Last couple of things, just getting to know you a little bit. So say you've had a particularly stressful day uh, with your children and your work and all everything else you're trying to do. How, what do you do to unwind? What's your, your go-to relaxation? Yeah. So I, I'm a runner. I try, try to get outside and, and even if it's a one mile jog, like just getting outside and being able to clear my head is so beneficial. Um, I'm actually going to probably pop on my running shoes after we're finished with our conversation here. So, um, yeah, that's, that's my favorite go-to way. If, if, if I have an opportunity to sneak away and, and get a quick run in, that always makes me happy. And, um, I'm also a big reader. So, you know, if it's, if it's late at night and the kids are down, there is nothing better than curling up with a glass of wine and a good book and just try to decompress. What are you reading right now? Or anything good? I, I am reading President Obama's new memoir, oh. mm-hmm. Land. It's fantastic. I've tried to read a lot of nonfiction this year and every like substantive thing that I pick up, I wind up putting down, but I've read a lot of mysteries. So. That's great. Yeah. I try to mix it up. I usually yeah. try to do something fun and something maybe a little more somber. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> well, and then last question I like to leave with is if you were talking to a young woman entering the workforce today, uh, kind of interested in following in your footsteps, what piece of advice would you want to give her? Yeah, I love this question. I, um, I often think back to what do I wish I knew when I was, you know, just starting out in my career. And I, I think the biggest thing is you need to do enough self-reflection and be aware enough of the organization where you're working to figure out what, what you're really good at and passionate about, find out where that overlaps with what the business needs. That's the best way to really show that you are indispensable. Um, and also once you do figure that out, be vocal about it and raise your hand. You know, I, I think a lot of times 
and I was absolutely guilty of this when I was younger, but you know, you don't want to ask the wrong question or say the wrong thing or misstep. I think, you know, not being afraid to make a mistake and just try it. I mean, I, I talked about earlier, I'm doing things every day that I've never done for the first time. And, you know, I, I don't always get it right. Even now, after I've had, you know, many years of experience. So I think, you know, not, not letting anyone you know, task be too precious and, you know, give yourself, give yourself a little grace, you know, if, if you do misstep because life, life is long. There will be many opportunities to, to misstep and, and just get right back on course. So that's what I wish somebody tapped me on the shoulder and told me when I was 22. <laughs> I think that's a great answer. And I really enjoyed talking to you. So thank you so much, Lauren, for joining us. Likewise. Thank you so much.